1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And this morning we're going we're gonna to read this whole portion from God's Word. So if you could um, find your place there to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And my message this morning is entitled, A New Beginning, David. A New Beginning, David. Uh, why don't we stand, if you are able, why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over you, over Israel? Fill your, ho- fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Concentrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, they looked on, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. May God bless the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be here today. We we thank you for the joy of your presence in the Lord. And we just pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, that you you would take your word this morning and break it for us that we might understand the message that you have for us especially a message of a new beginning that you want for us today. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake, amen. You know, there are times in our lives when we all stand at a crossroad. 
and a decision has to be made one way or the other. What path are we going to travel down in life? And either we can choose the status quo, the same old, same old, and really make no change at all, or we can choose to embark on the path of a new beginning, a fresh start. Let me just ask you this morning, could you be standing at that crossroad this morning? What path will you choose in life? The same old, same old? And see nothing change in your life? Or a new beginning, a life of obedience, a life of faithfulness to Jesus Christ? God never grows weary of new beginnings. Oh, that was true when Dr. Chafer said it years and years ago, and it's true today. God never grows weary of new beginnings. In the Bible, there was a man who early in his career came to a crossroad in his life, and his name was Saul, the first king of Israel. He had the opportunity to be a great king in Israel, to choose a path of obedience to God, But sadly, he chose another path to travel down, the path of disobedience. And that's what made him a man after his own heart. As a result of his disobedience, God tore the kingdom from Saul and determined to choose another king who would obey him in faithfulness. Saul's tragic choice reminds me of Frank Sinatra's hit song, I Did It My Way. Because that was, that was Saul. I believe that really sums up his life. He did it his way and not God's way. And then in the Bible, there's another young man who came to a crossroad in his life. And his name is David. He too had a choice to make in life. Unlike Saul, David chose God's path the path of obedience, the path of faithfulness. And that's what made him a man after God's own heart. The poet Robert Frost says it well. Two roads diverged on a wood, and I I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. David took the road less traveled by. A life of obedience to God. And that made all the difference in his life. A new beginning in Israel's history was about to begin. A new beginning in your history and my history can begin too. If we take the road last traveled by. Let's see how how it all transpired. Okay, Look with me again in verse 1. Of chapter 16. And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Well, we can see from the text that, that the prophet um, Samuel, he loved Saul. <laughs> And he grieved over his fall. He grieved over his sin and rebellion against God. And, but God made it plain to Samuel that he had rejected Saul as king. Now it was time for a new king.
king, a, a, a different kind of king. So God sent Samuel to Jesse's house in Bethlehem to anoint one of his sons to be the new king. This was a very dangerous mission for Samuel, and he knew it. Saul would be none too happy if he knew that he was going to anoint another king. So Samuel, he, he rightly questioned God. He said in verse 2, how can I go? If he hears it, he will kill me. You know, Samuel had every right to be afraid. King Saul had all the might and all the power at his disposal to eliminate Samuel if he felt betrayed by him. But the Lord calmed Samuel's fears. In verses 2 and 3, And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. See, so God had a plan. God always has a plan. So God, God had a plan for, for this particular circumstances. He had a plan for Samuel. He had a plan for David. And, and God has a plan for your life as well. And, you know, sometimes we just don't understand that plan. And, and I'm sure that Samuel did not completely understand the, the plan that God had for him. But he was willing to trust God. And yes, God had a plan. And God's plan was to use a sacrifice and most likely a feast that followed that sacrifice to cover up his real purpose of anointing the next king of Israel. Well, Samuel did what Saul failed to do. In verse 4 we read, Samuel did what the Lord commanded. He did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. When Samuel arrived in Bethlehem, the townspeople were obviously nervous. Normally when a prophet comes to town, he comes delivering a message of doom and judgment. So they were, they were frightened. They were nervous. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So the plan worked. <laughs> It calmed the fears of the town people. And Samuel arrived at Jesse's house, verse 5, and he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Folks, this was a remarkable, remarkable moment in Israel's history. A remarkable moment in Israel's history. A new beginning for the nation. A fresh start. I want you to try to picture in your mind Jesse, this proud father, standing here with his seven strong sons before the man of God, Samuel. Oh, it was an honor for him to be and his sons to be in the, in the presence of this great prophet of God, the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. Immediately, Samuel's eyes focused on the eldest son, Eliab. He was tall. He was good-looking. If ever there was a tall, good-looking young man, it was certainly he. He was the perfect picture of a king. So we read in verse 6, So Samuel thought to himself, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This has to be the one. It's got to be him. 
You know, in this one scene, we see a vivid contrast between what man sees on the one hand and what God sees on the other hand. First, what does man see? Well, Samuel, he, he saw a tall, strong, good-looking young man who seemed to be the kind of man God would choose as a king. That's what he saw. But if you remember, the last tall, good-looking young man in the story was Saul, and he was rejected by God. But that's what man sees. What does God see here? What does God see? Look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance, on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not. This is how God sees. Now, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, what God sees is vastly different from what man sees. Samuel, he just took one, he just took one look at Eliab and he said, Yes, man, he's the man. We can stop right here. We can all go home. This is the man. But God looked at Eliab and said, Nah, he's not the one. He's not my chosen one to be king. You see, man sees the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. God sees what's on the inside. He sees what's really there. He sees the real man. He sees the character of the person. Let me ask you, what does God see when he looks at your life? I ask that same question to myself. What does God see when he looks at my life? Is it different from what others see? What does God see? Say, that's what's really important. What God sees in your life and what God sees in, in my life. See, what, what man sees might be reputation. But God sees character. Dr. James Dobson, the former president of Focus on the Family, in his best-selling book, Hide and Seek, says that the most important assets a person can have in our society are looks, fame, and fortune. Looks, fame, and fortune. If you have good looks, if you have popularity, if you have money, wealth, you're okay. But if you don't have these things, you're not so okay. This false view of man's worth has been ingrained into us by our society. And we even see it in the, in the books that we read our children. You know, like the ugly duckling is despised by all of the other ducks because he's not pretty. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer is laughed by, at by the other reindeer because he's different. Dumbo is given a rough time because he has big ears. See, our society views a person's worth by what it sees on the outside. But God views a person's worth by what he sees on the inside. Eli, Eliab, as far as man was concerned, he had it made. 
He had all the good looks, the physical attributes, but he was not the one God chose. He was the most likely son to be chosen, but he wasn't. Because God didn't see a king on the inside. After Eliab, the other sons paraded before Samuel. And again, they they represented all the best man can offer. Again, they had all the physical features you would expect to be in a king, but none of them were chosen. None of them were chosen. Finally, Samuel begins to see as God sees. I want you to see the, 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 the transfer that's taking place here. The change that has taken place in in Samuel's life. Now, Samuel is beginning to see as God sees. Look at verses 8 through 10. And Jesse called Abinadad and made him pass before Samuel. And he, that is Samuel, said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. None of the sons of Jesse were chosen at this time. And Samuel was perplexed. He, man, he couldn't figure this out. I'm sure he was thinking, the Lord specifically told me to go to Bethlehem. To, to Jesse's house because he was going to choose a king from among his sons. What's going on? I've done what the Lord said, but, but no son is chosen. Then verse 11, then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? <laughs> you know, I, I admit I'm reading between the lines, but maybe Jesse was thinking, yes, they're all here. Then he remembered the boy. <laughs> Then he remembered the boy, the, the, the little shepherd child. He said, oh, yes, there is another son. And verse 11, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Jesse is saying, I, I didn't think you would want to talk to him. He's still a, a child. He's just a, a, a shepherd boy. And Samuel says in verse 11, Sin and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. The feast will not take place until this son comes in my presence. So they waited. And finally, young David walked into the room, and every eye turned on David. He had some good qualities, physical qualities. We read in verse 12, Now he was ruddy, that probably means a maybe a fair complexion and red hair, and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. You know, David, too, was a good-looking young, young man, but hardly king potential. Just a shepherd boy, that was it. You know, God seems to have, a, a, God seems to have an affinity for shepherds. <laughs> yeah, we'll see that in the Christmas story, don't we? Of all Jesse's sons... David was the most unlikely one to be chosen, yet he was God's choice. He would have been that person most likely not to succeed, but he was chosen. He was chosen to be king. 
You know, it's amazing how God often reaches down to the bottom of the barrel to display his grace. To the bottom of the barrel. You know, I think of a prostitute by the name of Rahab. She was chosen to be in the direct line of the Lord Jesus Christ. God chose the lowly shepherds of Bethlehem to be the first to hear the good news of the birth of Jesus Christ. God chose a small-town shepherd boy to be Israel's greatest king. And yes, God chose common folk like you and me to be the trophies of his grace and salvation. The trophies of his grace and salvation. I think of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Notice the ones God did not choose. He didn't choose the wise. He didn't choose the powerful. He didn't choose the noble. Notice the one that God does choose, the foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised. Why did God do what he did? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God, so that God would get all the glory. Just look around you. This church isn't made up of the rich and the famous. It's made up of the ordinary, common folk like you and me, who have been saved by the grace of God for the glory of God, for his glory. And and that's true in in, in most of the churches in, in the world today. God has chosen the weak, the lowly, so that he might receive all of the glory, so that he might receive the glory, so that no human being will boast in his presence. Verse 12, and the Lord said, okay, Samuel, rise, anoint him, for this is he. Again, why was David chosen? He was chosen because God saw in David a man after his own heart. David possessed what the others did not possess, a heart for God, a passion for God. Now, David was not a perfect man. We know the entire story. We know of the failures and the sins of of David. He failed morally. But when he was confronted with his sin, when he came face to face with his sin, he turned to God in deep sorrow and repentance. I believe there's another reason David was a man after God's own heart. And that is because he had a heart of repentance. A heart of repentance. When he came face to face with his sin, he repented. Do you have that heart? Do you have a heart of repentance before God? 
I believe that should be our prayer every single day. God, give me a heart of repentance. Because really the Christian life is a life of continual repentance. Why? Because we continually sin. And we must keep short accounts with God. When you sin, and we all do, are you grieved? You turn to God in repentance? As Samuel anointed David as the new king, David was empowered by the Holy Spirit for this new beginning God had for him. Look at verse 13. When Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David that day forward. I I love the way the Bible puts it. The Holy Spirit of God rushed mightily upon David, rushed mightily upon him. And you know, the Spirit never left him. Even after his sin with Bathsheba, he prayed, Oh, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And he didn't. (laughs) The Holy Spirit was in David his entire life. He was a Holy Spirit-led man and king. You know, this is the first time that in the Bible that we read about David. But not the last time. David was the greatest king of Israel. He, he was also the great psalmist of Israel. His amazing story is told in First and Second Samuel and First King. His name will live forever in history. Again, he was not a perfect man or a perfect king. But he was a man who had a heart for God. He was a man who chose the path of obedience, the road last traveled. You know, something very important happened that day in the little town of Bethlehem. A new king was made. A new beginning for Israel and for the entire world. What happened that day in the little town of Bethlehem eventually led to another day hundreds of years later. And that day made Bethlehem famous forever. The prophet Micah. And Micah chapter 5, 2 prophesies about that day. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth to me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose comings forth is from of old, from ancient days. In the little town of Bethlehem, the Son of God, David's greater son was born, a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. On that day, there were shepherds. There were shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem watching over their flock by night, and they heard the message of the angel in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Then the shepherds, they said one to another in verse 15 and following, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. 
But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told, as it had been told them. Yes, God saw something in David no one else saw. They saw a shepherd boy. God saw a king. But God saw far more than a king. God saw the king who would come from David's family, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of the Virgin Mary. He was born like no other man was born, born of a virgin, both God and man. And when he arrived on the scene, he was greeted with the words, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he showed mercy by healing the sick, restoring the sight to the blind, cleansing the leopards, and raising the dead. But that was not the main purpose for which he came. He came for one purpose and one purpose alone. To provide salvation for sinners. Jesus said it himself. I have come to seek and to save the lost. And that's what he did. He went to the cross and on the cross Jesus died for sinners. You know the Bible says we're all sinners. You know we might have all come to this country in different ships. But we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. Condemned. Without God, without Christ, as we enter this world, and we have the need of salvation. As the Bible says, we're all sinners, and because of our sin, there's a penalty, and that penalty is eternal separation from God, and and God must judge sin. And on the cross, Jesus was punished by God in the place of our sin, so that we won't have to be punished. Yes, Jesus paid the debt that he didn't owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the good news that our world needs to hear more than any other time in history. I'm convinced of that fact. The good news that there is hope in Jesus Christ. There's hope in Jesus Christ. To those who are are sick with, with COVID, there's hope in Jesus Christ. For family members that are grieving, there's hope in Jesus Christ. There's hope. It's the good news. But the best news of all is that if you're willing to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ in childlike faith, trusting him to save you, he will. He will. Today, you you might be standing at a crossroad. And it's a crossroad that, that leads to either life or death. Which road will you choose? Will it be the road that leads to destruction? Or the road that leads to eternal life? If you put your trust in Jesus, it will be that path that road that way 
that leads to eternal life because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today as a Christian, you too might be standing at a crossroad. You have a choice, a decision to make. Will you choose to keep living the same old mediocre Christian life? The same old, same old? Or will you choose a new beginning? A life of obedience to Jesus Christ. Two roads diverged on a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. I encourage you to take the road less traveled by. A life of commitment to Jesus Christ. A life of obedience to him. It will make all the difference. Let's pray together.